This message was presented at the DYC 2013 conference, Before Man and Angels, in Orlando, Florida. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.dycweb.org. Uh, so as we have seen, we're going to deal now with the synagogue of Satan. As we have seen in the thinking of Ellen White, the synagogue of Satan and Babylon are synonymous. In other words, they're different ways of referring to the same group. It is no coincidence that the synagogue of Satan is mentioned in connection with the Church of Philadelphia, and Babylon is mentioned in connection with the first angel's message, because both occur within the same historical framework. Now, what is the synagogue of Satan according to Ellen White? We already studied this from Scripture. Now let's take a look at what Ellen White had to say. When she refers to the synagogue of Satan, she emphasizes two aspects of the synagogue of Satan, what, what the synagogue teaches. First of all, she says that they cast away the law of God, especially the Sabbath. Is that what happened uh, to those who didn't enter the most holy place? See, this is, this is all uh, in its proper structure and order. And secondly, she says that the synagogue of Satan employs spiritualism as its prime method of deception to lead people astray from the law. So they're both related to the law. Do you know what the devil's purpose in, in spirit? See, we usually think of spiritualism and the attack on the law as two different uh, things in the end time, but they're not. See, the devil hates the law. He's going to attack the law, but he's going to use spiritualism to attack it. And one way he's going to do it is by, and we're going to study this tomorrow in our first session. It's a fascinating study. Behind all of this, folks, the, the, the very core of this is that the devil hates the law, and he wants you to, to follow standards of behavior other than the Bible. He wants you to follow your reason, he wants you to follow your heart, he wants to follow your intuition, he wants you to follow your feelings, he wants you to follow what other people say, he wants you to follow voices. And, and one way that he's going to use spiritualism, Ellen White says he's going to have uh, individuals who died, relatives who died, appear to Seventh-day Adventists. They're not really relatives, <laughs> they're, they're demons disguised as relatives that they're going to appear and they're going to say, hey, we've been sent from heaven to tell you that the Sabbath has been changed to Sunday and that, that God is, is unhappy and all the disasters in the world are because Sunday is not respected. So what is the purpose of spiritualism? To lead people to disobey the law and to lead people to follow all kinds of standards except the Bible. Now, let's read these statements from Ellen White. Satan has a large confederacy, his church. So what is the synagogue of Satan? It's Satan's what? Church. church. And what is that church called? Babylon. Babylon. Or the synagogue of Satan. Satan has a large confederacy, his church. Christ calls them the synagogue of Satan because the members are the children of sin. The members of Satan's church have been constantly working to cast off the divine law. 
and confuse, now listen to this because we're going to come back to it, and confuse the distinction between good and evil. Let me ask you, who defines good and evil? God. Does it your heart? Your heart says, well, uh, you know, I have this deep feeling that gay marriage is okay. What's wrong with that? It contradicts the objective standard of God's Word. Right? It's simple to follow God's Word. We're going to find that, God, that the devil used five methods with Eve. He performed a counterfeit miracle by leading a snake to speak. He misquoted God's Word. He tried to lead Eve to follow her reason. He tried to get Eve to follow the testimony of her sense. She saw that the fruit was good. She was listening. She touched it. It looked like it was tasty. And he used Eve to lead another individual to sin. The whole intent is to use any and every standard to lead you to disobey God. That's why this women's ordination thing, you know, what part of husband of one, one wife don't you understand? <laughs> and so they have to twist that and say, well, husband doesn't mean husband always. It's, it's, you know, it's just a generic term. And so there's all kinds of, of fancy footwork that is done to get out of the clear testimony of the Bible. The Bible is clear. The Bible is clear that marriage should be heterosexual. That doesn't mean we hate gay people. We love gay people. We just don't love their gay lifestyle. You say, well, how can you love someone without loving their behavior? Well, let me ask you, do your kids misbe misbehave and sometimes do you hate what they do? Do you hate them? No. So if you can love your children but hate what they do, the same applies to hating the behavior, the sinful behavior, without hating the people who performed the behavior. She continues saying, Satan is working with great power in and through the children of disobedience to exalt treason and apostasy as truth and loyalty. Can you believe that? He wants to pass off disobedience and treason as truth and loyalty. And at this time, the power of his satanic inspiration is moving the living agencies to carry out the great rebellion against God that commenced in heaven. You know what? The emerging church and postmodernism has nothing modern about it. Because the original controversy in heaven was over God's holy law. And the devil told the angels just what he tells people today. He says, you don't need an external standard to tell you what you can do and what you can't do. You're smart enough to know on your own. And he said the same to Eve. So God has said you can't eat of every tree of the garden. Why would he say that? Think for yourself. Those are the seeds of postmodernism. 6,000 years ago and beyond. 
The whole strategy is to lead you to disobey God's word. And that's why Ellen White says our only safeguard is in following the Bible. Because it's the only trustworthy external standard. Our heart is deceitful above all things. We cannot trust our eyes. We cannot trust our heart. We cannot trust our feelings. We cannot trust others. So we need an infallible standard that we can rely on 100% of the time. And that is the Word of God. Our only protection, folks. Notice this next statement. Christ speaks of the church over which Satan presides as the synagogue of Satan. Its members are the children of disobedience. They are those who choose to sin, who labor to make void the holy law of God. It is Satan's work to mingle evil with good and to remove the distinction between good and evil. This is extremely important. And we're going to come back to this tomorrow morning, Lord willing. Christ would have a church, listen carefully now, that labors to separate the evil from the good, whose members will not willingly tolerate wrongdoing, but will expel it from the heart and the life. Now I'm going to skip the next statement where she speaks about the synagogue of Satan wanting to get rid of the Sabbath because that's really an extension of the law of God. I want to read where it says the forces of darkness. This is an amazing statement. Uh, it led me to write a, um, a section of the book Prophecies Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I'm in the process of, of redoing that book. It's about maybe 60 pages, but I want to do a full commentary on, on Daniel 2, Daniel 7, uh, Daniel uh, 8 and 9, Revelation 12, 13, and 17, and also the end time events of Christ. Do you know that the end time events of Christ, the last days of Christ, are an illustration of the experience that God's people are going to go through at the end of time? We're going to repeat the whole story of Jesus. Let me ask you, was there a union of church and state? Who hated Jesus, the church or the state? The church. Could the church get rid of him as a church? No. So what did the church do? It appealed to the arm of the state. Interesting. That's only one characteristic. There are many. Notice what she says. The forces of darkness will unite with human agents who have given themselves into the control of Satan. And this, listen carefully, the same scenes that were exhibited at the trial, rejection, and crucifixion of Christ will be revived. Through yielding to satanic influences, men will be transformed into fiends. And those who were created in the image of God, who were formed to honor and glorify their creator, will become the habitation of dragons, and Satan will see in an apostate race, his masterpiece of evil. Men who reflect his own image. Can you imagine a world where with the exception of the remnant, everyone reflects fully and completely the image of Satan? We can't imagine what that's like. While the door of mercy is open, that's not going to happen. But when the door of mercy closes, Ellen White says that there will be such scenes of strife that the human mind cannot grasp. So we better make sure that we have an anchor. Amen. 
that we know what we believe and that we know in whom we have believed and that we have a personal relationship with him. Because what coming, what's coming, folks, we cannot, the most vivid imagination cannot grasp what's coming to this world. And what the devil has done, he's dumbed down America. Why do you suppose video games and movies in the movie theater and television and all these things, you know, it's simply to lead people to be superficial. I mean, you play a video game for four hours. How does that help your intellect? One of my big frustrations is that people don't think. You know, and so, and so pastors say, well, because people don't want to think, let's, let's just tell a few jokes and entertain people. No, no, no. We have to learn to think. And for that we have to leave aside all that superficial stuff and we have, need to go into the deep waters of the word. Now listen to how Ellen White connects this also with uh, the state of the dead. In the next statement she says, The doctrine of consciousness after death of the spirits of the dead being in communion with the living has no foundation in the scriptures and yet these theories are affirmed as truth. Through this false doctrine the way has been opened for the spirits of devils to deceive the people in representing themselves as the dead. Satanic agencies personate the dead and thus bring back souls into captivity. And then she says, Satan has a religion, he has a synagogue and devout worshipers. To swell the ranks of his devotees, he uses all manner of deception. So what characterizes the synagogue of Satan? A rejection of the law, the Sabbath, and teaching that the dead are not dead. Is that the problem with the religious world? Which is the only church that has a protection against that? The Adventist church, folks. Because we teach that the law of God is still binding. And that the Sabbath is still God's day of rest. And that the dead know nothing. You know, somebody said, hey, uh, you know, it's kind of uh, weird that people believe that if somebody hits you on the head and he knocks you unconscious, you know nothing, but if he hits you a little harder and kills you, suddenly you know everything. <laughs> doesn't make any sense. But then the devil stuff doesn't make any sense if people really stop and think. Okay, let's go to our next section. Now we must ask the most important question of this study. What is found in the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary that the religious world rejected in the aftermath of 1844? The answer is chilling. When the religious world refused to enter the most holy place with Jesus in 1844, it rejected all the distinctive beliefs of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Is that true of the religious world? Yes, and it's also true of publications like Spectrum and much of what is written in Adventist today, which doesn't have much Adventist. And I know I don't win friends by saying that. But it's the truth. You know, you read Spectrum, the whole purpose of Spectrum is to criticize everything Adventist. Ellen White explains why the religious world after 1844 despised those who had entered the most holy place. 
Notice what she said. Many and earnest efforts, many and earnest were the efforts made to overthrow their faith. That is, those who were faithful after 1844. None could fail to see. Now, notice why they suddenly discover the law on the Sabbath after 1844. None could fail to see that if the earthly sanctuary was a figure or pattern of the heavenly, the law deposited in the ark on earth was an exact transcript of the law of the ark in heaven. And that an acceptance of the truth concerning the heavenly sanctuary involved an acknowledgement of the claims of God's law and the obligation of the Sabbath commandment, the fourth commandment. Are you understanding what she's saying? You enter the most holy place, you discover the law and the Sabbath. And that's why the religious world doesn't want anything to do with the law and with the Sabbath. is because they're in the wrong apartment. She says, here was the secret of the bitter and determined opposition to the harmonious exposition of the scriptures that revealed the ministration of Christ in the heavenly sanctuary. Now listen to what the text that she's going to use. Men sought to close the door which God had opened. Which door is that? The most holy. And to open the door which he had closed. What did they want to do? They wanted to return where? To the holy place. Where is she getting this from? The message to Philadelphia. Notice. But he that openeth and no man shutteth and shutteth and no man openeth had declared, Behold, I have set before thee an open door and no man can shut it. She's quoting Revelation 3, 7 and 8. Christ had opened the door or ministration of the most holy place. So are we correct in saying that the door that was placed before Philadelphia, the open door, was the door to the most holy place? Absolutely, she says. But he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth, had declared, Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. Christ had opened the door, or ministration, of the most holy place. Light was shining from that open door of the sanctuary in heaven, and the fourth commandment was shown to be included in the law which is there enshrined. What God had established, no man could overthrow. Amen. So clear. I'm going to skip some of this. Because if I present it all, you won't get the book. <laughs> now, in another statement, you know, let me ask you, were there denominations that accepted the Sabbath in the days of Ellen White? Sure. In fact, where did we get the Sabbath from? Well, we got the Sabbath from, uh, let me go just above here a little bit because we have uh, that information. We got the Sabbath from individuals like Thomas Preble, you might not have heard about him, Frederick Wheeler, and we've probably heard about Rachel Oaks Preston. Seventh-day Baptists. There were people who kept the Sabbath. So, so you, you say, oh, you don't have to go into the most holy place in order to see the Sabbath. That may well be true, but we need to consider this more carefully. The Sabbath truth was embraced early by Joseph Bates, but James and Ellen White were slow to accept it because they did not see its importance. But in the course of time, James and Ellen White not only came to understand the importance of the Sabbath, but they also comprehended the relationship between the Sabbath, the most holy place, and the first and third angels' messages. Do the Seventh-day Baptists understand that? The end-time implications of the Sabbath? 
Do they understand the seal of God and the mark of the beast? Do they understand that it's the final test? No. You have to understand the sanctuary and the three angels' messages for that. And so you have to enter the most holy place to understand the full implications of the Sabbath commandment. Now, um, Ellen White stated this, I believe the truth upon the Sabbath question before I had seen anything in vision in reference to the Sabbath. It was months after I had commenced keeping the Sabbath before I was shown its importance and its place in the third angel's message. That's distinctive about the Adventist church. And then notice this statement. She's writing to a minister in Wisconsin. She says, separate the Sabbath from the messages, that is from the three angels' messages, and it loses its power. Can you have a powerless Sabbath? The Seventh-day Baptists have a powerless Sabbath. At least for this day and age, because, because they don't realize the, the tremendous implications of, of strict Sabbath observance. So she says, separate the Sabbath from the messages and it loses its power. But when connected with the message of the third angel, a power attends it with con which convicts unbelievers and infidels and brings them out with strength to stand, to live, grow, and flourish in the Lord. In our evangelism, we not only present the Sabbath, but we present a sermon on the, on the mark of the beast, the third angel's message. And we say, hey folks, the Sabbath is not simply one of the commandments, you know, that we're supposed to keep. It is the final test. And then we take them to the third angel's message. Woe to ye who receives the mark of the beast. We take them to Revelation chapter 14 where it speaks about the seal of God in the forehead. We say, so this is not just a commandment, it's a matter of life and death. Amen. That's a totally different perspective of the Sabbath than a, uh, Sabbath-keeping Pentecostals and Sabbath-keeping Baptists and so on. Now we won't go into the, into the state of the dead doctrine. These, many of these doctrines already existed in the world, but they did not see uh, the, the link and the importance in connection with the three angels' message. Now um, I'm going to go down here because, uh, because of... Uh, not having enough time. Let's just uh, talk about the state of the dead. The pioneers came to understand the state of the dead, the unconscious state of the dead. And here is how the, um, the idea of the, uh, of the mortality of the soul is connected with uh, the first angel's message. Remember I said that the first angel's message, you have the state of the dead involved there? Now notice how Ellen White argues this. Uh, this is in Great Controversy. She says, those who in the judgment are accounted worthy, because in the judgment it's shown, it's revealed whether they are worthy to be saved, right? Those who in the judgment are accounted worthy will have a part in the resurrection of the just. So those who are determined to be Christ's children in the judgment, uh, when Jesus comes, they will what? They will have a part in the resurrection of the just. She continues saying, Jesus said, they which shall be accounted worthy to obtain that world and the resurrection from the dead are equal unto the angels and are the children of God being the children of the resurrection. And again he declares that they that have done good shall come forth unto the resurrection of life. The righteous dead will not be raised until after the judgment at which 
they are accounted worthy of the resurrection of life. Hence, they will not be present in person at the tribunal when their records are examined and their cases decided. So they're not personally in heaven, they are in heaven through their records. Are you following me? Do you know that we're in two places at the same time? Say no. Yeah, you know I'm in heaven and I'm here. I'm physically and personally here, but God has an exact transcript of everything up there. God has another Stephen born in written form in heaven. And right now the angels are furiously writing. And when I say writing, probably they're videotaping. Yeah, high def, super high def. Yeah, you know, God speaks to people in the language of their time. In the Bible it was common to use the word books, because that's where records were kept, actually they were scrolls. Ellen White said God is photographing. She used the old word daguerreotyped. It means it's, you're, uh, God is photographing us. Because, you know, photography existed in the days. I believe that if God was speaking today, he would say, God is computerizing. <laughs> yeah, God, God, has an, uh, God has another Stephen Bohr in heaven. And I like to think that it's in electronic form. And you know what happens when I die? When I die, I disintegrate. Does my brain disintegrate? So what happens to my mind? Gone. What happens to all of the identity that I formed during the many years of my life? Gone. Disintegrated. But God keeps a backup. Keeps a backup because he knows that's going to happen. So what is he going to do? At the resurrection of the dead, by the way, he's going to, he's going to delete all of the bad things before he comes back to give me my self-identity. He's going to delete all. You know, there, he has a delete button on his computer. <laughs> and when my, when my case appears, when, when, God, when, when my turn comes up, God says, Stephen Bohr, Stand before my judgment seat. Let's supposing that I should die before the Lord comes. How can I appear there? I appear through the books. In a certain sense I'm appearing there alive because the records were made while I was alive. So I'm appearing alive through the records. Are you following me or not? And so God, God shows the heavenly universe. He shows all of my life in super HD, inside and out, without missing a single detail. Wow. And uh, the devil is, uh, the devil accuses, I ah, did this and this, and God says, yeah, yeah, but remember, look, it says forgiven, forgiven, forgiven. And so, so every sin that through the power of God I've, I've repented of truly and confessed and through the power of God overcome it's deleted from the records. And so when Jesus comes, he will return to me a clean record. Amen. Isn't that good news? That's great news. And so, and so what happens in 1844 when God calls Adam the first to be judged, Adam 
is disintegrated. Who knows where the flood took him? So how did Adam appear? Adam appears through the records in the books. His whole life is seen. And then when, when God finishes examining his case, he says, before the universe, he says, okay folks, saved or lost? Ah, saved. Because we know that Adam's going to be saved. The two Adams are going to meet. And so then, Jesus will mark, resurrect. And when Jesus comes, he's simply going to take the electronic record and plug it into a new body with a new brain. Are you with me or not? Amen. And so that's the, that's the correct view of the state of the dead. See, most Christians, the, the idea of the judgment is absurd to Christians. It's ridiculous. Because if you go to heaven when you die, why would God judge you? If you went to hell when you died, why would you be judged? You're judged at death. But the Adventist view is that you're judged while you're dead through your records. And then you're rewarded when Jesus comes. That is the biblical position. And it's connected with the most holy place of the sanctuary. And the idea that the hour of God's judgment has come. Now... Let's continue going here. Let's see how much time. Wow. Time just flies by. Let me just... Uh... Okay. It is no coincidence that the mainline fallen Protestant denominations, you realize that the papacy is the Babylon that fell in 1798. In 1844, when they said Babylon is fallen, that's referring to Protestantism, because the Millerites called people to come out of the Protestant churches, because they rejected the message of Christ's return. So it's no coincidence that the mainline fallen Protestant denominations, as well as many of those who profess to believe in the imminent advent of Jesus, presently reject or downplay these distinctive doctrines of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Because Christians have refused to enter the most holy place where Jesus is, they are oblivious to the present truth for this time. In place of present truth, they substitute things such as healings, signs, wonders, contemporary worship practices, prosperity gospels, psychological self-help, and political activism. Isn't that a reflection of uh, Protestantism today? Pretty well covers it. And as we shall soon see, even many Seventh-day Adventist churches who have taken their eyes off of Jesus in the most holy place are denying that God led in the midnight cry movement of 1844 and are preaching evangelical theology while they downplay or downright reject the present truth message that makes us unique. Significantly, Ellen White has assured us that all who embrace the three angels' messages will be saved from the many delusions of Satan in the last days. And as we know, these delusions will bear a direct relationship with the distinctive doctrines of the church. The law, the Sabbath, the state of the dead, the investigative judgment, victory over sin, and healthful living. I read this statement this morning, but let's read it again. Many saw the perfect chain of truth in the angels' messages, and gladly received them in their order, and followed Jesus by faith 
into the heavenly sanctuary. Those who understand and receive them will be kept from being swept away by the many delusions of Satan. Interesting. Is it vitally important then to be in the most holy place of the sanctuary? Absolutely. Now, I want to go to this section because our time is coming to an end. We only have like 10 minutes left. That throne vision, in early writings, pages 54 to 56, was later amplified in the book, The Great, in the book, the Great Controversy. But in its amplification, it covers from page 409 to page 562 of Great Controversy. She's commenting on those three pages of early writings. You know that early writings is like the, earlier great, the earliest Great Controversy. The Great Controversy went through a process. Uh, the conflict series, first of all, you have spiritual gifts, and then that you have four volumes, Spirit of Prophecy, and then you have the five volumes that we have today, which is the conflict series. So Ellen White, each time, Ellen White added additional information that she had received in visions and in dreams. Now that vision that she received, which was in 1845, she greatly amplified in, amplified in Great Controversy, pages 409 to 562. And I want to go through this, and I'll go through it quickly, so that you see how Ellen White understood very clearly what is found at the very core of the Most Holy Place and what our present truth message is. On page 409 through 422, the title of the chapter is, What is the Sanctuary? In this chapter, Ellen White explains the sanctuary service in its totality, thus preparing the way for people to understand his entrance into the Most Holy Place. Pages 423 to 432 is titled, In the Holy of Holies. That would be equivalent to the throne vision, the Father moving and then Jesus moving. In this chapter, Ellen White explains the movement of Jesus from the holy to the most holy place in 1844. Now, it's interesting. She, first of all, explains the sanctuary so that people have a global view of the sanctuary with a special purpose of then speaking about him entering the holy of holies. Now, what would the next chapter speak about? What would she write in the next chapters? Notice, the next chapter is titled, God's Law Immutable. Why would the next chapter after the entrance of Jesus into the most holy place be God's Law Immutable? Because when you enter the most holy place, what do you see? The law. Ellen White in this chapter explains that when the most holy place was opened, the law of God was seen. She begins on page 433 by quoting Revelation 11:19 that we looked at this morning. And on page 435, she quotes Revelation 3, 7, and 8, which we also referred to this morning. In the rest of the chapter, she speaks of the importance of the law of God, and how it would be trampled upon by apostate Protestant churches within the United States. Interesting. That's the synagogue of Satan, right? In the next chapter, which is titled, A Work of Reform, pages 451 to 460, 
the entire chapter deals with the perpetuity of the Sabbath and the importance of its observance. So she's talked about the law. She's talked about the attack that's going to be launched against God's law. Now she's talking about the importance of the observance of the Sabbath. And then in the net you have this next chapter which is very interesting. 461 to 478 it says called Modern Revivals. This chapter, everybody needs to read this chapter and reread it and reread it again. Because she's describing the manner of worship of the synagogue of Satan, of Babylon. The short paragraph at the end of the vision in early writings, where Ellen White spoke about Satan breathing an evil influence upon those who remain in the holy place, has now become a full chapter. In this very important chapter, Ellen White explains what happens when churches refuse to enter the most holy place with Jesus. In place of present truth, they substitute counterfeit worship styles that major in feelings, emotions, signs, wonders, and entertainment. Read the chapter, you'll see it. They ignore the law, true repentance, victory over sin, the Sabbath, the investigative judgment, preparing a character for heaven, the state of the dead, and healthful living. Now she's putting flesh and bones on that idea that, that Satan, you know, takes control. And these people have, you know, there's a lot of power involved in a counterfeit light. By the way, this is the reason why Ellen White when she sent the additions to what she, what she uh, saw first in her vision, she wrote, Then Jesus showed me the difference between faith, which we already saw that she defined as those who what? Who entered by faith the most holy place. There's a difference between faith and feeling. The superficial religious experience of those who do not enter the most holy place. They base their whole religious experience on what? On feeling. The next chapter, 479 to 491, Facing Life's Record. Here she describes the investigative judgment and the need for victory over sin. Pages 492 to 504, the title is The Origin of Evil. Now she's going to transition. She's spoken about the law. She's talking about the Sabbath. She's spoken about the counterfeit religious revival led by Satan, the synagogue of Satan or Babylon. And now she's going to talk about the state of the dead. In fact, the next three chapters set the stage for the discussion of the doctrine of the state of the dead and spiritualism. On pages 492 to 504, she speaks about the origin of evil, of Satan in heaven. Pages 505 to 510, the title is Enmity Between Man and Satan. In this chapter, Ellen White describes the method that Satan uses to deceive human beings. In the next chapter, pages 511 to 517, uh, the title of the chapter is Agency of Evil Spirits. Here he describes the, uh, she describes the identity, the methods, and the mission of evil angels. And all of these chapters have one purpose, and that is to prepare for the chapter where Ellen White deals with spiritualism. Now pages 518 to 530, in this chapter, now listen carefully, this is an important chapter, Ellen White describes in detail the multiple and diverse methods that Satan will use to keep the Christian world from embracing present truth for this time. 
time and again in this chapter, she emphasizes the importance of the Bible and sound doctrine. Among her choice remarks are the following. The position that it is of no consequence what men believe is one of man's most de Satan's most successful deceptions. He knows that the truth received in the love of it sanctifies the soul of the receiver. Therefore he is constantly seeking to what? Ah, that's a key word. To substitute false theories, fables, another gospel. In another place she says those who are unwilling to accept the plain cutting truths of the Bible are continually seeking for pleasing fables that will quiet the conscience. The less spiritual self-denying and humiliating the doctrines presented, the greater the favor with which they are received. These persons degrade the, the intellectual powers to serve their carnal desires. In another statement she says, every conceivable form of error will be accepted by those who willfully reject the truth. In another statement she says, if men would but study the book of God with earnest prayer that they might understand it, they would not be left in darkness. See, once again, the idea of darkness that you found in the throne vision. To receive what? False doctrines. But as they reject the truth, they fall a prey to deception. And then one final statement from this same chapter. Innumerable are the erroneous doctrines and fanciful ideas that are obtaining among the churches of Christendom. It is impossible to estimate the evil results of removing one of the landmarks fixed by the Word of God. So after she's talked about the origin of evil, who the evil spirits are, they're really fallen angels, and she's spoken about the methods that Satan uses to deceive, then she reaches the point where she speaks about the greatest method of deception in the chapter titled, Can Our Dead Speak to Us? That's pages 551 to 562. Are you seeing what Ellen White is doing? She's saying, listen folks, those who enter the most holy place will have a high regard for the law, they will have a high regard for the Sabbath, they will believe that we are now in the judgment, that it's necessary to prepare a character for heaven. They will reject false worship styles, which characterize the synagogue of Satan or Babylon. Now listen to this statement. Do you know what happened after 1844? Immediately after 1844? all kinds of spectacular things started happening in the religious world. People started depending on feelings and emotions and speaking in tongues and rolling on the ground and laughing in the spirit. Does that ring a bell? Huh. Why? Because they had received the influence of what? Of Satan. There was a power there. But it was not the power of God. Notice this statement, Satan is now using every device in this sealing time to keep the minds of God's people from the present truth and to cause them to waver. I saw a covering that God was drawing over his people to protect them in the time of trouble. And every soul that was, listen carefully, every soul that was, was decided on the present truth, I, I added present, but it's in the context, the previous context, that is not decided on the truth, 
and was pure in heart was to be covered with was to be covered with the covering of the Almighty. So in other words, if you're decided on the present truth and have a pure heart, you'll be covered by the covering of the Almighty, is what she's saying. Listen to what Ellen White had to say about the religious world after 1844. Remember that, that Ellen White says that those who entered the most holy place, you know, they, they saw all of these truths that God had revealed, whereas Satan took the place that Jesus had vacated. This is symbolic, of course. And people thought that uh, Jesus was still there, and they prayed to him, and he poured on them an, an evil influence. And they thought it was the power of God. Listen to how she describes the religious world after they rejected the most holy place message. She said, Satan knew this. That is, that those who stand firmly on present truth and have pure hearts will be protected by the Almighty. This is a continuation of the previous statement. And he was at work in mighty power to keep the minds of as many people as he possibly could wavering and unsettled on the truth. So what is the devil's strategy? To keep people what? Wavering and unsettled on what kind of truth? On the present truth, according to the context. Is there any coincidence that you have mysterious knockings of spiritualism after the religious world rejected the most holy place message? She says, I saw that the mysterious knocking in New York and other places was the power of Satan. And that such things would be more and more common, clothed in a religious garb, so as to lull the deceived to a greater security and to draw the minds of God's people, if possible, to those things and cause them to doubt the teachings and the power of the Holy Ghost. What is the purpose of the signs and wonders that the devil produces? To deceive God's people into backtracking. She says, I saw that Satan, whoops, well, it's really got lost. Bear with me. Here it is. Just go down a little ways. She continues saying, I saw that Satan was working through agents in a number of ways. He was at work through ministers who have rejected the truth. Remember that she started by speaking about present truth. So when she says truth, that's the frame of reference. Through ministers who have rejected the truth and are given over to strong delusions to believe a lie that they might be damned. While they were preaching or praying, some would fall prostrate and helpless. Not by the power of the Holy Ghost, but by the power of Satan breathed. Remember that, that word in the throne vision? breathed upon these agents and threw them to the people. While preaching, praying, or conversing, some professed Adventists who had rejected present truth used mesmerism, that's hypnotism, to gain adherence. And the people would rejoice in this influence for they thought it was the Holy Ghost. Why are they falling uh, into all of these deceptions? because they did not enter the most holy place. Is that clear? That's why we exist as a church. If for any reason we forget that our message and our mission is to take to the world the most holy place message, which is connected with the three angels' message, we have no reason to exist. It's that simple. 
She continues saying, while preaching, praying, or conversing, some professed Adventists who had rejected present truth used mesmerism, that is hypnotism, to gain adherence, and the people would rejoice in this influence for they thought it was the Holy Ghost. Some even that used it were so far in darkness, another word that is used in the throne vision, and deception of the devil that they thought it was the power of God. Is that expression in the throne vision? Yes, she's amplifying the aftermath of the throne vision, the short phrase that she has in the throne vision. Now she's fleshing out. She says, Some even that used it were so far in darkness and deception of the devil that they thought it was the power of God given them to exercise. They had made, now listen carefully, they had made God altogether such as one as themselves and had valued his power as a thing of naught. They thought that God was one like what? Like themselves. You know one of the problems we have in worship today? It's man-centered worship. We say, we say, oh, well, I want to come comfortable. I want to come in shorts, Bermuda shorts and a Hawaiian shirt. I. Well, you know, I like the music I hear every day. I like that music. Worship has become me-centered. But we're supposed to worship the, the awesome and holy God on His terms, not on ours. With, with His style of music. And we are to appear before Him with respect in our dress, in our demeanor. Because he's the great and awesome God. He's not the man upstairs. Amen. He's not our good old buddy. Amen. He's the high and lofty one whose name is holy. Amen. How dare we appear before God dressed any old way. Would you dress that way if President Obama invited you to the White House? Yeah, that's right. They wouldn't let you in. <laughs> Good point. And some people say, well, Pastor Boy, you're pretty fanatical. You're extreme. But you know what? What I'm teaching you today, I believe, for the last 40 years. My the I'm not, I haven't gone to an extreme. The problem is that so many people have got so far from the center that it looks extreme. not extreme. The shift has not come from me. The shift has come from them. And it looks like I'm extreme because they have moved. What I'm sharing with you isn't anything new. You know, I've been a member. I'm 63 years old. I grew up in the Adventist church. I remember when the Adventist church was radically and totally different than it is now. This stuff that I'm sharing with you People will say, ho-hum, nice, we know that. <laughs> really? But we've gone so far astray that, that, you know, when we hear these things, we say, wow, you know, this is some, some new light. This is something that I haven't heard before. Well, the fact is that we should have heard it before. Listen to what Ellen White continues saying here. Oh, uh, let's see. Oh. Time is up. Is it 4.15? Yes. 
Okay, let me just read one or two statements in closing. It says, some of these agents of Satan were affecting the bodies of some of the saints, those whom they could deceive and draw away from the truth by a satanic influence. All that all could get a view of it as God revealed it to me, that they might know more of the wiles of Satan and be on their guard. I saw that Satan was at work in these ways. Now notice what the purpose is. To distract, deceive, and draw away God's people. So God as a people, what is the devil's intention? Drawing them away. Was there a group in the throne vision that was drawn away from the most holy to the, to the holy? Yes. To distract, deceive, and draw away God's people, just now in this sealing time, I saw some who were not standing stiffly for present truth. Their knees were trembling and their feet sliding because they were not firmly planted on the truth. And the covering of Almighty God could not be drawn over them while they were thus trembling. Satan was trying his every art to hold them where they were until the sealing was passed, until the covering was drawn over God's people and they left without a shelter from the burning wrath of God in the seven last plagues. God has begun to draw his covering over his people and it will soon be drawn over all who are to have a shelter in the day of slaughter. God will work in power for his people and Satan will be permitted to work also. But now notice, I saw that the mysterious signs and wonders and false reformations would increase and spread. The reformations that were shown me were not reformations from error to truth. My accompanying angel bade me look for the travail of soul for sinners as used to be. I looked but could not see it for the time of their salvation is past. So what do you think folks? Can we worship like all the other churches? Is our message the message of all of the other churches? No. We have a distinct message and we have a distinct mission. And I'll close by saying, as I've said before, if we fail in presenting our message and fulfilling our mission, what reason do we have to exist? We don't have any reason to exist. We're just one of the bunch. This is God's remnant church. And we don't say that arrogantly, say, oh yeah, we're God's remnant, you know, like we can brag about it. No. It's simply the truth that we are God's remnant church. But, but that um, privilege that God gives us entails a huge responsibility. And that responsibility is to preserve the truth and to share the truth that the world so much needs today. Does the world need the truth about God's law today? Does the world need the truth about the Sabbath? Does the world need rest? Does the world need the message of health reform? Does the world need to hear that we're in the hour of God's judgment? People should commit their lives to Jesus and let him cleanse their lives from sin. Absolutely. Our message is what can, can just bring comfort to people in the world. It's a wonderful message. Let's not sit on it. Let's go far and wide and share it and shout it out. How about it? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the time we've been able to spend together. We realize that you have given us an awesome responsibility. 
responsibility of understanding and presenting the three angels' messages in the most holy place message to the world. But we must embrace it first ourselves. I ask, Father, that you will speak to each heart, to each mind, that, this, uh, that the decisions we make here will not be decisions that will last only a few days, but that they will transform and change our lives, that we may become mission-oriented. We might share with the world the message that you have given, the wonderful message that you have given to this church. Thank you, Father, for having been with us and for answering our prayer. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, please visit us online at www.gycweb.org.